I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo, the Rower's Choice, and this is another episode of uh, podcasts. And we are talking to a dude. I thought I was convinced. I convinced myself that he was a direct descendant somehow related to Francis Ford Coppola, uh, but he is not. This guy has been around rowing a long time. He's seen it all. We've, he, you, know, it, you already know who I'm talking to because the picture comes up. You know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to Steve Coppola. He is the head women's coach of Cornell Rowing, Big Red. We're going to be getting into a number of things, but um, we're going to start always getting to know the guy, like understanding why he started rowing, how he focused himself onto training at the highest possible level, how he got to Cornell, and then some topics that I'm hoping to get to because the rumor is he is a storyteller, is that I want to talk about the transition of women's rowing and what he's seeing and what he's projecting is going to happen in the next couple of years. Uh, the landscape, in my mind, and what I'm seeing is constantly shifting, right? And I want to get into also recruiting help. Like I want to, I want to hear what this guy how he determines a really great recruit at the women's level, because I'm seeing some fast scores. I'm seeing incredible things happening at the women's junior level. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge proponent of rowing at the highest level. So Steve, let's start, man. Thank you for being here. All right. You got your, uh, the, the broadcast intro, you, you're, like what that? are we, you said it was uh, season four, episode 13, 13. So yeah. you, you've, you've been practicing. That was, that I, was this is, on a roll. Yeah. this is my first podcast. So. <laughs> I'll make it easy on you. I'll make, I really will. But um, you know, we've, we've done, I don't know, 120 something interviews right now. They're usually an hour long. So what's that saying? Like 10,000 hours, you know, it's <laughs> like, I'm almost there. I'm trying try, yeah. almost there. Uh, yeah. See, I start every single podcast with the same question. How old were you and where were you when you took that first stroke? Oh yeah. No, it was, uh, I, I want to say it was like seventh or I, or it was, it was going into high school. So it was, I just finished eighth grade. Um, and, uh, I was, you know, growing up in Buffalo, New York, um, you know, getting ready to start high school, uh, looking at all the different sports that I could possibly do. And my parents, um, were at some like fundraiser auction for, for, uh, my brother's elementary school. And there was this rowing camp that, uh, option that they, uh, someone donated and they bid on it and happened to win it. And we're like, guess what? You're going to rowing camp. Um, and I think, I think really what they wanted to do was keep me away from football. Cause I was just like kind of big gangly kid who wasn't super coordinated and, you know, the rest of my family, we had growing up, like my grandfather was like a coach football for 50 years from my high school. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I was like thinking about going down that road, but uh, everyone was like, man like all those little guys are just going to come after you <laughs> they want to take down the biggest guy out there so all right well hold um, on really really quick steve like yeah um, what like how tall were you we say gangly and tall i don't even know how tall you are man <laughs> oh i i mean i'm like six eight so uh and and going <laughs> oh into freshman God. year yeah i was like i was like uh i was probably like six four um and i was kind of heavy but you know being that big you're required to play basketball Right. So that was really like the main sport I did. Um, and so, you know, it was like, it was, you know, rowing was kind of build, 
build to me and I had been exposed to it because I had family members who, you know, rode in the, uh, you know, in the forties and fifties, my, my mom's cousin was a uh, brown rower back before Brown even had a varsity team. So he's not oh. really recognized as a brown rower. Um, but he, you know, he raced in the, I think it was the Melbourne Olympics. Um, so, you know, it kind of been talked about around me, but it was, it was really sold to me by my, by my parents as a uh, way to get in shape for basketball. All right. So really quick. So this is, this is, uh, Canisius high school, right? Yep. This is Buffalo, New York. So a uh, good friend of mine, uh, coach Ted Haley is from that area. I'm not sure. I, I I'm pretty confident he's older than you. Yeah. Um, I think Ted was in the graduated Canisius in like the late eighties, I think. And when did you so, graduate? 2002. 2002. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. you know, like, it's, uh, we call it the two degrees of Buffalo, not the six degrees. So, okay. um, <laughs> Yeah, definitely have known. known is two degrees because it's always fucking freezing in Buffalo? <laughs> or, or it's like, well, I, oh, Buffalo. Oh, man. Well, it's like rowing. Everyone likes to, in Buffalo, everyone likes to play the, you know, that game of like, who are you connected to? Like, sure. you know, and, and there's a, there's a church on every corner. So, you know, you start out with, oh, you're from Buffalo. What parish, right? Like, and oh, yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. go from, go from there. Are, are you um, a Bills fan by heart? I mean, like, you know, you know, are, born and born and bred and I, I'm fully indoctrinating my kids. <laughs> you have to, I mean, it's like, a, it's like a guarantee. Oh, yeah. They had a hell of a season this year. They did. They did. My eight year old daughter wants to marry Josh Allen. Dude, she's like, my going back nine year old daughter wants to marry Josh Allen. Yeah. She's going back and forth between wanting to marry Luke Skywalker or, or Josh Allen. Who do you pick? Is that if you're the dad, who would you rather have Josh <laughs> Allen or Luke Skywalker? That's a tough question. Yeah. Well, Luke Skywalker is, you know, to be a good Jedi, you're not supposed to be in love. So I guess I got to go. got to go Josh, Josh Allen. Yeah. 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 Cause, Cause you want to be on the sidelines anyway at every football game. So, <laughs> you know, Luke Skywalker can't do anything for you in that, in that case. Yeah. All right. So two degrees of Buffalo graduated high school in Canisius in 2002 um was the program any good were you guys like fast? Uh, we were we were more they were but we were more known for like uh lightweights so we had we had a bunch of lightweights that had kind of made the jump um and had done well but really like i mean Canisius has always had like the one-off um like kind of the, the one-off good heavyweights you know you're uh you know you're your Jim Neal's, your Marty Crotty's, you know, your Jamie Hamps, your uh, Ted Soboleski's, you know, kind of like you're going down the list of Canisius uh, names that would probably be known more broadly. Um, so, but, you know, they kind of got excited when they, when they found me and kind of. You're a big guy. I mean, you're, 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 so, all right. So, so where did you go to, okay. You, Really quick, did you play basketball in the, in in rowing's off season? Did you do? I it did. I did for um for my first two years, and then and then my junior year, I started trying to play, and then I got to about I got through like the first like the conditioning week, and I went to I went to my coach who was also like our dean of students, and I said, hey, listen, coach, like I I think I want to like focus on this rowing thing, and uh you know he's, he looked me in the eyes and he said you know i knew we would have this conversation i didn't know when 
but I knew, I knew you were eventually going to have this conversation with me. Good luck. Wow. So, wow. Um, so he knew, I mean, wow. Okay. So why, what was it? Was it just because you were just not as good at basketball? The team was stronger. Like what was the drawing factor? Well, you know, like uh, looking looking like at the time I just had this incredible passion to see like, okay, how fast can I get? Right. Like where can I take this rowing thing? But then, you know, looking back in hindsight, I think the big thing was um, when all of my buddies were playing basketball in the summers and doing like the police athletic leagues and the summer rec leagues and all that, I was rowing. So I wasn't starting in basketball shape. I was starting in rowing shape and it always took me, like until like February before I was like really like getting off the bench and, and starting to feel like, okay, like I'm contributing and I wasn't really hitting my stride until towards the end of the season, those first two years. So, you know, I think, I think that was part of it was that I was just like, I, I was just like, all right, man, I'm in rowing shape. Let's just go for it. Hold on. Let me, let me, uh, uh, let me argue with you on that one a little bit. Isn't the, isn't the conversation like, Hey, row because it'll get you in really good shape, everybody. Yeah. So you should row in the spring because football is around the corner. But you're telling me that you weren't you weren't in basketball shape. I get it. You know yeah. the the high intensity running constant um, was. Oh, it I could run. It was the dribbling and the shooting. That oh, I was it's in. the hand. Co- okay, yeah, all right. So that's yeah. a different. Okay, rowing. Different. Rowing just I think just destroys all that if you just row. Like I, I haven't been able to play ball sports since, since then. I just, since 2001. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically. Jeez. Okay. Basically, I don't even uh, pretend. I you love know. that. Okay. I appreciate that. Now, how <laughs> fast did you go in high school? Uh, I tapped out at like 615 in high school uh, on the erg there. So, um, and that was, yeah, you know, I think nowadays that would be considered slow given my given my pedigree well ju- uh justin best just went what did he go he went 551 no 549 on the 2k right yeah and in this instagram post he said a coach once told me they're juicing the the erg scores possibly concept two is digging in there and saying hey let's dial it up a little bit so the 550 really is a six minute you might have been faster i don't know i'm just yeah i'm, I'm bsing here but no no i think is fast. It's definitely evolved. And yeah, I think, I think what's, what's changed is just like the knowledge that goes behind that preparation. Um, so, you know, maybe I, I, you know, who knows, like I might've been faster if, if I was growing up in this day and age, but there's so many other distractions. Yeah. You no, you're, play, you're, it's you can't point. play that. What if. All right. So you're, this is early two thousands. There's uh, cell phones are really not a thing um internet is is really blossoming because i graduated 04 so i'm you're two yeah. years my senior so you're 39 yeah. um so you and i grew up in the same era right and uh college recruiting was really challenging right unless you went to the crash b and you pulled a ridiculous score you relied you relied on your coach right you relied right. so where did you go to college uh so i went to i went to princeton i went to princeton as an undergrad um you know we were uh we were just chatting about uh, the previous podcast you did with Spencer Washburn, yep. you know, he was, uh, he and I were teammates for a while. Um, he was one year, my senior, uh, but you know, our, I think my junior year of college. So his senior year, 
the fun fun little fact was we had three guys in the varsity that shared a birthday it was it was me spencer and and one other guy we all had the same birthday it was just uncannily weird that's cool um yeah princeton tigers you guys had some really fast talent so uh, his name his all name is also Alex. I can't think of his last name. Wrote for TJ Thomas Jefferson in 04 with me. He went to Princeton. Yep. Uh, I forget his last name. He would have been Sika. Sika, Sika right? Alex, yeah. Alex Sika. Yeah, yeah. That guy was a monster. That guy was yeah. like sub 6'10 in high school. Like, I think he was sub 6'10. Um, so so Princeton was aggressive. You guys had a really a lot of talent. What was the fastest you went? Uh, two-part question. How fast did you yeah. go on the erg in Princeton? And then what was your biggest result, your best result at Princeton? So, so we, um, I think I tapped out at Princeton at like, I can't remember if it was 554 or 552. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, one of the, uh, there was one year where uh, I remember just an epic failure where I was, I think my junior year, I was on pace for, uh 48 and and oh cruising and then uh you know i got to like i got to like the last 600 meters and this is like a story i tell my kids all the time um here because uh and i'll get to that in a sec but you know i was cruising getting in the last 600 meters i was kind of feeling my oats a little bit i was like getting a little greedy i was like all right let's go for it and then you know i tried to like accelerate and I just went backwards <laughs> and those last 500 meters were just like the most painful 500 meters I've ever done in my life. And I, I mean, I, I think that year I ended up with like a 556. Um, and right after, right after I finished that, it was actually a professor that uh, uh, at, at Princeton who had rode, um, you know, for Oxford and, and uh done the blue boat stuff uh i was talking to him about it and he goes you know sometimes you swing for the fences and you and you only hit a triple but the only way to hit a home run is to actually swing for it oh yeah so i always i always like you know that's one of those lessons that's just kind of like burned into my mind um from college and it's something you know just trying to teach the next generation like hey like you know, if you want to do something great, like you got to be willing to like blow up an epic failure. Um, that's a, okay. That's a very fast 2k though, right? That's like <laughs> extraordinarily yeah. fast. Um, I don't think I've talked to more than on, on podcast interviews. I don't think I talked to more than five guys to ever have done that. <laughs> um, so yeah, flattery. Um, yeah. but, um, well, that, I mean, you never, that got you never me. won the IRA. I mean, you didn't win the IRA. No, no. The closest we came was my senior year. And, and, uh, you know, I think, um, you know, by all accounts, like we were favored for that. We, we had, uh, that senior year crew, um, you know, we had, we were favored to win. Uh, we had, we won every race before that final by open water, um, that, that season, you know, I, I was coming off a high where, you know, I had won a world championship in the men's eight the summer before we'd won, we'd won the, uh, head of the Charles that year. We were like the first collegiate crew to win the champ eight 
since like the eighties. And now, now it's just kind of common for a collegiate crew to pick off the champ eight, but it was a pretty big deal when, when that happened for us. Um, and then, you know, going into it, you know, we really hadn't seen Cal, um, but we were just like, we were like, Hey man, last race of college, like, let's just go as fast as you can. And, and I think we just, we ran out of, we ran out of another gear effectively. Cause we were just like, we were, we were just trying to push it down the course. Um, and was that a bronze? Did you get a bronze that year? No, we were second. We were second oh, silver. Um, so it was, uh, but I think, you know, looking back on it, um yeah you know i think we are like we harbor this feeling like okay you know like that wasn't our best race but then you know as i'm in the coaching world and i haven't even talked to this about this with my you know with my teammates from that uh, that boat but i just keep hearing about from like the coaches who were there like how wonky the conditions were at at cooper and and there's a lot of people who like you know, from other schools who now like are my colleagues who are still in the game. And they're like, man, like you guys, you guys got robbed. And I think, um, but it still sticks with me. I'm like, man, you know, like regardless, like, you know, we should have got that. Um, <laughs> so. All right. Let, let, let's go back one year. All right. So Oh five. So Oh four yeah. men's eight crushes, right? This is yep. like, it's the greatest goddamn summer. U.S. rowing is at its peak. You make the eight in 05. Mm -hmm. uh, number one, who is in that? Actually, let me go back further. You're in Princeton. The Princeton Training Center is there. It's surrounding you, right? Was that yeah. just an easy flow for you to go right into that circuit at the collegiate level? Because I got to tell you, yeah. the guys in that boat, some of those guys in that boat, older, you know, yeah. more mature, they would look at you like a kid. I mean, that was my nickname because I was always the youngest, even through like the, the London cycle, I was always kind of the youngest. So like a lot of times they called me baby Steve and, you know, like my first national team, I remember my first senior team making the Cox four and Oh four and not being old enough to go out to the bar to celebrate with everyone. <laughs> right. Like, um, so, you know, I think it, 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 in some respects it was easy because i knew the town i had connections there but you know like i think the hard part was is i was also a no so like like every every screw up was you know every every failure was also seen mm -hmm. um so i was very much a no and so it kind of cuts both ways um it kind of cuts both ways there but it was in some respects, a lot of respects, it was easy because I already had the, like the life connections. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much like the being in the boathouse as it was, I had the life connections, I think. Now, wow. Steve, uh, Steve, Mike Tady was your coach. Yep. Who's in that, who's in that 058? Walk me through that boat. Uh, so we had Marcus McElhenney was the coxswain, uh, Brian Volpenheim, Bo Hootman, Josh Inman, uh, Dan Beery, myself, Mike Blumquist, Matt Deacon, Paul Daniels. I think that was everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. like guys that will just rip your throat out, you know, just <laughs> ridiculous. I mean, I I've met, I've met what, six of the nine guys in that boat and 
there, I, I say this because it's just, you know, I'm a, I'm a, uh, I don't know if I'm a rowing nerd. I guess I am. I mean, I, this is my life. <laughs> You're my doing passion. a podcast, right? I do podcasts where I fix boats all day and I drive them all, all yeah. night long. So I, I remember meeting Brian Volpenheim for the first time when he did our live event down in DC. Uh-huh. And there was like an aura about him. I'm like, this guy, like, this is the guy I looked up to all the time. <laughs> like when he won the Olympics, yeah. I was in Marietta, Ohio, and I watched him cross first to win the gold. And it was just, it, it was an incredible moment for me. Um, but what I find funny is that 05 boat that you guys mm-hmm. win the world championships, wildly unknown, right? Yes. It's, we don't talk about your boat very much. We don't talk about that success and the run up to um, the next Olympic cycle, which was Beijing, right? 08. Yep. Why? Why do you think that is? Why do you think that those three or four years are really unknown to American rowing? You know, like, you know, we kind of, some of us like, you know, talk about that. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was because we failed to repeat maybe. Um, but no, I think um, that's a good, I mean, that's a good point. We were, we were a little overshadowed by the, like, it was like the dawning of the women's eight. Right. And, and, and I think that's part of it was it, like, I think, uh, almost you know somewhat politically but very deserving right i want to say very deserving um it was the okay oh four was the men's eight men's coming out party they were celebrated that women's eight that was silver same thing hardly talked about right yeah and then come around through that next cycle right oh five the women you know it was like you know for a while that was i I was like, you know, I was the last one to win a world championship for the men. And I was for a while, I was at the, that world championships where I, you know, I was like, it's the last time the women's women failed to medal, right. For, for a decade at 05. And then, wow. and then you get to 06 and it was kind of that switch where it was like, okay, now it's, you know, kind of about the women and and pumping them up because what they were doing was something truly historic and we were going fast but we were kind of like the also rants and credit where credit is due there were some incredible women in that group some very you know awesome awesome powerful women Dude, the irony is that uh, that that we didn't do a good enough job promoting them and showcasing their skills and what they what they accomplished in those 10 years. Yeah. I had an interview just the other day that's just like, you know, I'm not going to say who, well, um, I don't know. I, I guess the timing is just fine, but he was saying that um, it's a shame that those women and that 10 years of excellence was not promoted more. It should be international news to everyone, not just the rowing population. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, going through it, it sure felt like they were getting all the all the credit. I guess because um, you are the rower, right? Because yeah. you're in there. You know, so, so it was like, yeah. But I think I think regardless, it's um yeah, getting away from like what what we accomplished, I think when you're in it at the elite level, right? Like you're there's just like this extreme respect with how specialized everyone is and and what they're doing right like i remember being at the training center for a few years out in san diego and there was this guy who's actually recently passed away but uh at at a young age um but he was a thrower 
And I remember him kind of laughing at us, like he'd kind of wander in halfway through our lifts, you know, do a couple power cleans and leave. And we'd see him at the, uh, see him at the cafeteria later. And he'd be like, man, you know, I think, I think we lift the same amount of weight, but you guys do it in three hours and I do it in like four reps, right? Like (laughs) there's just like this respect of like, when you reach that height, how specialized, Yeah, you know, you, you really are. And, you know, it's like, I remember getting back from Japan, I got off the plane from Japan and, uh, you know, classes had started at Princeton and uh, my coach at the time, Curtis Jordan was like, listen, like what you did was great. I'm not putting you in a boat till October. I don't care. Like you got to take a little bit of time. So I remember going for a run, like shortly after uh, getting off the plane and, and you know, I was huffing and puffing after like two miles. And I was like, man, like you just won a world championship and you are a terrible runner. (laughs) And, and, uh, you know, there's just like this dawning of, of how specialized. And I think elite athletics, right. Elite athletes. Um, there's some that are just incredible all around athletes, but the vast majority are just super specialized at their skill set. I, you know, something, something kind of struck me. You, you win a world championship, your junior year of, of college mm-hmm. and you're walking into college rowing. Right? Yep. Think about that transition, right? <laughs> if, if, and you're six, eight, you're going sub sub 50, well, you're in the five fifty two five fifty four yeah. range. Um, you, in my mind, you would have the largest ego in that boathouse. Like, be honest <laughs> with me. Were you obnoxious about it or uh, were you no, brought down? No. Well, I mean, I, I had a lot of classmates who had like high egos. So I think, um, uh, you know, I think I was always someone who um, I never toot my own horn. Yeah, I have an ego, but like, I don't, I'm not like, I'm not really into like the whole build your brand thing. Okay. Um, but, you know, at the same time, right. Like I had, uh, you know, I was always second on the erg. There was a guy in my class, this guy, Alex Hearn, who um, be- always beat me on the erg. Uh, I like, I can rem- I remember clearly the handful of times where I beat him um, wow. and it was wow. only a handful. Um, but I always, you know, and then in the summers we would kind of flip and, and it was, you know, we were friends, but there was also that conflict of, of, you know, we each had what the others were going for. Um, and then I also, you know, another guy I was classmates was with was this guy, Sam Locke, who is we all know still, still kind of an Instagram personality. And, <laughs> you know, he was my, my roommate for, you know, two years at, at Princeton there. And, you know, I, I remember clearly he made the 08 Australian eight. And I remember clearly, you know, showing up in Beijing and, and, uh, you know, see him in practice. And I said, Sam, good luck. I hope you get a medal. And I hope I do too. And mine's shinier. And he goes, he looks at me, he goes, Steve, same. <laughs> well walk me through the 08 the 08 boat walk me through what where like tell me that experience uh you graduated college in 06 you're mm-hmm. two years at the training center you convince mom and dad i'm making a run at it i'm going to do this like i don't care about my career all right talk yeah. talk me through those that that 
cycle? You know, it's kind of a blur. Uh, it's so much of a blur that that we kind of unpack in hindsight. And I still chat with some of my boatmates or most of my boatmates that I still chat with. A lot of them are still involved in rowing from that. Uh, you know, again, in that boat, you had, uh, you know, Bo Hootman, who's still coaching at Wisconsin, uh, Dan Walsh, who I chat with, you know, at least once a week. Um, you know, the guy was in my wedding, you know, he, uh, he's selling boats for Hudson right now. You got Brian, who's, uh, only a matter of time before he gets sucked back in. You got Micah Boyd, who, who is kind of the, uh, the guy who's just, um, you know, I love him. He, I rode with him. Uh, you know, we both tried out for the junior team uh, together and, you know, both got cut. Um, but it was, uh, you know, so a lot of the guys are still still in rowing. White Allen was in that was in that yeah. boat. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of the guys are still still there, still kicking. But it's really it's it's so much of a everything was so much of a blur because uh, I was really. I learned early on, uh, you know, we used to, there were a couple like, you know, axioms that we would kind of operate under, right? One of them was, uh, I used to say, uh, if you know the plan, it means it's already changed. Um, the other, the other was, uh, was that I used to joke, we operated under the, you know, the mushroom theory of, of growth and development, which was, keep them in the dark, feed them shit, watch them grow. Um, you know, but I think, uh, I think the biggest thing I learned was actually from high school. You know, I was, you know, like I said, I was kind of awkward in high school and, but I got, I was fast enough where I got invited to try out for the junior team, uh, actually twice. First time for, and first time I went through it and, and both times I got cut. But the first time I went through it, I was like inches away and they were like, you know, after we finished, like that was the era where everyone had to go through Cox four trials, like every single boat had to go. It wasn't like, we're going to pick the eight and then these guys are going to go. It was, everyone had to go through and, and we're going to pick the boats from like the top performers. Um, and I remember finishing and they were, you know, they were chatting with me. They were like, Hey, we're not sure we might ask you to stay and be a spare. Like, we'll see, like, we're, we're interested. Uh, but eventually I got sent home and it was, it was good. I, I truly wasn't, I truly wasn't ready, um, for that, uh, like duration that, that, but the next year I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm actually going to make it this year. Uh, and I was like, all right, I've, I've done this before. I kind of know what's going on. And I was out of there. Like, you know, out, like I was the one who got sent home when all the, all the guys came in from Henley, like they came back. There were a couple of guys who came back from uh, high schools that went over to uh, Royal Henley. And, and then they were like, all right, we got to make room for these guys. So see you later. Thank you. Uh, and so my lesson from that was, if I spent too much time, you know, thinking about what was going on and trying to keep track of everything, I did worse. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, you know, I'm just going to show up, try to make a boat go fast, go home and try to recover, you know, and honestly, like the, you know, we, I don't think we have enough time to really unpack the, uh, that 08 
cycle. But I mean, honestly, like the big thing is, is, you know, I love the guys. It was, it was really awesome. It was, it was hard because we had, you know, basically we had three eights kind of going for it you know, all winter, we did our training camp. Uh, Mike took us to Clemson uh, because there weren't enough beds at the training center to have a women's selection uh, group and a men's selection group. And he didn't want to cut it down right away. Uh, You know, Mike kind of, you know, it's, uh, he wanted the guys to basically like fight for dominance. So it was like, all right, we're going to two, three eights, send you out, let the cream rise to the top. Um, but the guys were fun. Uh, for for the majority of the time, we were able to kind of leave any rivalries at the boathouse and kind of, you know, we'd go back to the, to the places we were staying and, you know, we'd finish practice and, you know, go play Halo for a while and just be consumed with, uh, you know, doing that rowing life. And, uh yeah. let, me, let me how many times were you seat raced in that in that cycle or at least like leading up to the Olympic <laughs> gate i i can't even count you know it was like Dozens. every day was a, every day was effectively a seat race you know i love that was, i love that energy i think that for success man you need that fight as you put it fighting for dominance like that yeah. has to happen uh well you got bronze i mean you got bronze it's a very yep. good result um was there I've had this conversation with other members of your boat before, but how much conversation was there? Got to repeat, got to repeat, got to repeat. Was like, was that in like impulsed in your brain? Um, was that ever discussed? No, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like, if Brian or Wyatt were kind of feeling that. Um, but for, for, for me and for a lot of the guys, it was our first time. It wasn't, we weren't trying to repeat. We were trying to do it for the first time. Was, was Brian the clear leader of that boat? Like, did he really take control as a leader of that boat or was there somebody else? Not as much as he could have, uh, not as much as he, he could have basically like he had enough cred, right? He could have just sat us down and say, Hey, that, listen, this is how it goes. Um, and I don't think, you know, I don't think we really had a clear, clear leader. Everyone felt, you know, they were able to kind of stand up and say, Hey, like, let's try this. Um, Do you think that's necessary in a boat for success? Or do you like the fact that I wouldn't call it a democracy, um, (laughs) but was, you know, having more, having a leader in every seat versus having a leader in a boat, like, which would you prefer to have? Um, So we actually did, did some work. Um, You know, there's this, uh, Australian rower Bo Hansen, who, you know, did more work with us later on in the London cycle, um, you know. But I think there has to be respect, right? Like, and if if you have someone who really wants to be dominant, then then you have to have a crew around that person that's not going to get offended by that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but the reality is, is the way it works. And I think, you know, I remember reading this, uh, this research article um, when I was doing like my undergrad psychology work. Uh, you know, I read this research article about this, uh, this West German crew from the 70s. And, uh, and the sociologists were looking at this 
crew specifically because it was a composite boat from rival clubs. And these guys like hated each other. And, and they were, the research question was, Hey, rowing is supposed to be this ultimate team sport. These guys hate each other. Like if they go out to a bar, they are going to fight each other, but they're going fast. Why? Right. And the thing that they, that they found that through interviews that they kind of drilled down on was that the thing that made them fast was each guy, they might not have liked the other guy, but they knew that, that the other nine or eight people in the boat were willing to go as deep into the well as they were to get across the line first. Mm-hmm. And so it was that trust that the other people in the boat were going to sacrifice as much as you were willing to sacrifice. And that was where like the, the key element um, that was really needed. So it's like, um, and as long, and that's, I think one of the things that, you know, without, you know, I'm going to give him like a lot of credit, but I think, I don't know if, you know, that was his master plan or if he just, it just worked out that way. Like the, you know, the gauntlet that we went through, uh, you know, kind of developed that trust in the, with each other where, you know, you didn't ha- need to have a dominant, you need, didn't need to, to have that. Like we all kind of knew like, okay, like when push comes to shove, when we're all, when it's time to go for the line, no one's pulling up short. Everyone's going. going no, there's a, I, I, I love that. I think the, the, you know, the bedrock of a great crew is, is trust and respect. And, and <laughs> I've, I've believed that wholeheartedly. I mean, my favorite boat of all time that I rode in was mainland high school. Oh, four. And we, most of them were the best men in my wedding. Are we all together? Yeah. We spend every, every winter we spend time with each other, our kids, there's 17, 18 kids among us. Um, I think having, having now interviewed a lot of the men and women from that era, Mike built something that it was like, not he's the enemy, but there's no other word I can use to describe it. It's like, you guys hated him and you spent so much time hating what he had created that you had no other choice but to trust and respect each other. Yeah. Right. And then, like you said, cream and the cream rises, eventually the guys that couldn't handle that environment left. And then you were, yeah. you were left with the very best that America had to offer. There is such a big difference between the national team now and the national team back then. And I wish someone could just wave a wand and say, let's bring that back because I, we need that back. We need what we had going the mojo that was happening mm-hmm in the late nineties, early two thousands needs to come back or we're not going to win an Olympic uh, medal anymore. I really believe that. I would love your knee jerk reaction to my statement. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's so many threads, right? Like you're, I, I actually think, and I've said it for a while that I think the downfall or, or like kind of like the slipping in terms of, of the U S kind of prowess, um, I link it actually to the, to the absence of the Cox four at world championships. Hmm. Cause that was kind of like the in-between step between under 23 and the Olympic level, um, you know? And so, but re- the reality is, you know, I think it was just, there were so many little threads that you can pull on to try to make it better, but it's just a different, it's a different athlete right now. And so, um, you know, like 
you know, segueing a little bit um, into, you know, me coming to Cornell, um, you know, I think one of the, you know, when I arrived at Cornell, I, you know, I said to the administration and, and I said to my athletes, I'm, I'm going to take a little bit of time to learn Cornell. I'm not just going to come in and say, okay, we're going to make Princeton West or North or whatever you want to call it, right? Like we're, I'm not just going to do what we did at Princeton because that works. And we're going to take a look and see, okay, what works for here? Um, and, and we're still trying to build from that. But, you know, I think uh, it's really important to not uh, try to look at, okay, what, what made that successful? What, what were the little things, you know, from, from my era of competing that made it successful? But we also have to look at the present and look at the, uh, like the state of today's rowers and the state of the world rowing in general, the landscape and, and adapt and evolve. And, you know, I think the next game is to, to figure out, excuse me, to figure out what, is gonna make this era successful. And that's still to be determined. All right, let me, let me, or we're gonna, we're gonna shift a little bit to you getting this job. So you, you're clearly obsessed with rowing, right? You, you've made it your career. Uh, I don't even know, I didn't even ask you what you studied at Princeton. Uh, it's really irrelevant. Um, so at what point do you decide that I want to hang up the oar and I want to now get the whistle. You yeah. know, I want to, I want to transition. Like what, what was that conversation in your head? What was going on? How did you make that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think going into, going into the London Olympics, right. Like I, I started out that, that last year, right. That 11, 12 year where it was like, okay, eight or bust. Like I only ever wanted to be in the men's eight, right. Like once you go, once you go sub 520 pace down the course, like all other boats are like ruined for you. Like the pair is just not fun. It's like when, when you're going like 119 for the entirety of a 2K, you know, anything else is not fun. Dude, that has so. got to be <laughs> incredible. Incredible. It's, it's um, can you describe that sensation? Can, I mean, real, I mean, I've, I've seen in a, on a boat, I've been in the one twenties, you know, but it's like, yeah, it's only for a blip, but you did it for a two K like, yeah. what is that sensation? So the, again, like the story that I, I tell my current athletes is uh, I remember there was in training for, Oh wait, we, uh, we were going down the course and, and our Cox and Marcus is just like, yeah, we're one twenties, one twenties. It's good guys. Let's go for a little bit more. Let's break five twenty this time. And, and I'm just feeling my, again, I'm feeling my oats a little bit. Right. And I, yeah. and I'm just like, I'm like, all right, let's go. And I kind of hoss on it and thinking, okay, this is going to get us like one nineteen. just me here. I'm, I'm going to get us one nineteen. And, and he goes, Whoa, guys, one twenty three. whatever you just did, don't, <laughs> don't do, do it. it again. And, and so then I just, I, then I just went back to like, just kind of trying to be quick through quick through. And I, you know, you kind of like, it was then that I realized that in order to go that speed, you just have to like go as fast through the water as you can. And if you try to pull hard, you're going to go slower, right? Like if you're, you're That's just kind of like lessons, Steve, I don't know what is, man. I mean, you, I just wrote down, do not disrupt, like do not try to disrupt yeah. whatever's happening. <laughs> shut your mouth yeah don't don't put the hero cape on just kind of just 
just groove it and just get through the water as quick as you can right like that so, is wild um yeah no, it's, so it's what it's a, what a feeling i mean <laughs> there is no other you know we we have such a hard time as rowers explaining to non-rowers why our sport is so cool right <laughs> and like we're terrible at it and yep. we're, we're working on it here at rowers choice believe me and <laughs> if you can just put someone in a boat and have that sensation just for 10 yeah. seconds you've hooked them forever right there is nothing better than hauling in oh, man. Hauling it in a boat yeah. like that yeah and I there's mean, people who, I'm wrong. there's people who like rem, they're like remember those 10 strokes from that race right yes. like <laughs> it's it's so hard to string it together for a full 2k um yeah. but but yeah so like you know we finished that and and i remember like we got to like april like a meet of selection and every day every day i was like like just my body i was like i can i can make it to london i can make mm. it to london right and and eventually like you know the results weren't there and so mike was just like you know pulled a couple of us older guys aside um and it was you know in that group there was you know myself dan walsh josh inman um and you know three of us who had meddled in 08 and he was like guys it's not going to happen this time right so you're what you're 29 30 at that point right yeah like you're... yeah it was uh it was 12 i can't do the math anymore yeah whatever uh, i, I was... mean it's, it doesn't matter but you were about you were yeah. about 29 30 yeah yeah and and you know so i i started looking around and i was like all right i gotta figure out how to like actually make some money and figure out what the next moves are and uh you know my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife i was like trying to think of like okay we got to figure out what the next steps are so uh you know i started emailing coaches and and trying to like get in on like uh coaching some summer camps uh what is what did she have a career i mean what was she doing she uh she was in the insurance industry so she was uh she was an elite level uh kayaker um and we met at the training center in san diego and she was training out there uh she had uh i call her an olympian but uh she made the u.s squad and then uh in 08 and but they were you know literally like a bow ball off of qualifying they had to go through the north american qualifier in order to Got get it. to the olympics and canada pipped them and uh and so i consider her olympian but technically she's not uh she'd want me to make sure i said that technically she's not um women are far more badass than men i'm just gonna tell you a quick story there's a woman her uh, kj um she rode for georgetown lights in my era she rode for mount saint joe and um she was very fast i mean she she only got she got she won stotesbury i don't even know how many times she married one of my best friends and we would always be like kj like you're amazing you're awesome she goes i got silver <laughs> shut the fuck up i don't care i got silver i'm like but you like have an ira medal she goes it, it's yeah. not gold yeah I'm like oh my god come on man yeah <laughs> it's unbelievable yeah um so like i i think long term right like i had mentioned you know my growing up with my grandfather having coached football at my mm -hmm. high school uh i basically i knew i wanted to be an educator i didn't know i didn't know where i was going to go with it i didn't know how far uh you know coaching collegiately was going to go i figured i'd you know dip my toe in there 
parent eventually, uh, you know, end up coaching high school, maybe teaching high school a little bit. Um, so, you know, I was, it was just like, all right, let's feel it out. Um, but they're just, you know, in, and in my, uh, looking around to do some, uh, do some rowing camps, you know, I just, you know, I was out there, I went back, coached a Princeton camp and was working with, uh, with Lori Daphne and, and the Princeton staff. And, um, they were getting ready to have some transition there on the assistant coaching level. So I was just, you know, kind of, uh, didn't really want to take no for an answer. Didn't really mm-hmm. give Lori a choice. And, uh, you know, so she, she took a chance at mentoring me a little bit and, uh, and here I am, and and she's been well, a how long? Awesome... How long were you at Princeton for? Till you took the transition at Cornell. So from twelve to summer of nineteen. Um, so yeah, I so took your the... first. I mean, your first. Your start of your first real year COVID at, at yep. Cornell. Yeah. What a punch in the stomach. Yeah, I got um, three months. Last last spring was my first spring season as a head coach. Right, because the Ivies were <laughs> shut down for like oh yeah. one, right? So you guys yeah. are gone for two full seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I, one thing that I like to do is I want to recognize that COVID happened, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. We've done enough of that. Yeah. So how's your how are you feeling right now, Cornell? Like with this is your second real season. Um, what's the what's the vibe like what's going on up there? I, I think it's i think it's good i think it's it's really solid i mean like we don't to to be brutally honest right like we don't have the, the top end ergs to uh to really be too ambitious in the varsity um but we you know we've focused i've focused since i've been been here on just bringing in women who are going to race right um the one thing we don't want to take any chances on is uh is what be what's between the ears um Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's something where you know one of the reasons why i even have a job is because there had been some you know transitions before me um so you know it's definitely uh most of the time when you're taking a head coaching job, there is a little bit of building that has to do happen. Um, and I think, uh, you know, again, recognizing COVID happened, but trying to put it in the rear view mirror. Um, one of the biggest thing, like, I feel like last year was like year one, almost for the program, right? Like because of, because the senior class that I had, um, in 21, I had two rowers and a coxswain in that class because of wow. previous kind of attrition sure. from different coaches that came before me. Um, so when we came to racing last year, I had one woman on my team who had been in an NCAA event her freshman year. <laughs> That's like a D3 like, program in like, wherever. Like that was, that was it. And then, and everyone else was just like starting it for the first time. Right. And we had some, we had some success throughout the season in kind of the middle boats. And I think, and I, and I kind of anticipate similar this year, I think will be, I, I think we'll, our strength is going to be in kind of like the, the middle of, of the team. Um, but really like it's been just teaching every, everyone. And I think that's like the biggest thing is like, making sure that everyone we bring in here as a recruit and even as a walk-on, because we still actually have a really strong walk-on population. That's one of the benefits of being at a 
bigger school uh, relative to the rest of the Ivies as we get a decent. What's the percentage of your squad uh, total numbers? Like, let's say there's, you know, percentage wise, how many are walk-ons versus recruited athletes as you see it today? Um, you know, we're probably about 10 or 10 or 15 walk-ons relative out of 50, 55. So it's still a good population. It ebbs and yeah, flows, it's a specific, but, yeah, yeah, that's a but there's group. like, um, but yeah, it's just making sure that everyone has a growth mindset, right? Like that, that buzzword I'm using, cause a lot of people recognize that buzzword, right? But it's, mm-hmm. um, it's giving that opportunity to grow and taking time, recognizing that, you know, in order to like, for us to get faster as a team and it to be sustainable, you know, everyone has to have an eye towards the future um, and the present. Right. But do you feel pressure to get faster, quicker? Like, do you, do you get that sense? Is there a pressure from the administration, from the athletes even? Um, yes, yes. It's, I mean, it's not consuming, but certainly, right. Like certainly there's that, there's always that pressure, I think. Uh, but I think the greatest pressure is, is putting it on, on, on myself, or I try to make it feel like that, that's the greatest pressure. Um, but I think, uh, you know, for us, it's, you know, the big, uh, you know, conflicts that we've kind of had to resolve is, you know, especially when you have a, you know, when you have a team that's, you know, searching to do better than, than it is. Um, it's everybody wants to be in the varsity, right? Everyone wants to. And then if it's not going well, like, Oh, you know, like last year, um, you know, we got to women's sprints there at the end of the racing season. And, you know, we had our two V come in third at women's sprints and medal. And then the varsity, um, you know, kind of fell into that like hero cape trap that we were talking about earlier. And, and I think they wound up in the C final. Right. And so those two V rowers were looking at it like, like, Hey, maybe, maybe I, maybe I should be in the varsity. And, and I kind of had to like really make sure this year more than anything, I've had to really make sure that everyone recognizes that, you know, women's rowing is different than than anything and that it's a team sport and that like really like the job is that everyone has to score points and and that varsity was you know uh, faster we didn't we were it was marginally faster it it wasn't clearly faster but the last year that like that varsity was faster than our 2v but the 2v would still you know take a piece here and there it was a good 2v yeah, I want to bring up a topic, something, um, uh, you know, I take a lot of notes here, Steve. Yeah. Um, and something kind of just, again, popped in my head. Uh, I find it interesting. So you rowed from 98 to 2012, right? Yep. So 14 years of rowing, uh, zero coaching at that point. You come in, you start coaching. You didn't really coach I, for two years, right? Let's, let's use, let's yeah. use COVID as a, as a, so you got eight years experience, but you have rowing at the highest elite level. Yeah. Not every, not every elite rower can be a great coach. So what have you learned to change or adjust in your style and your approach from when you were training to now coaching? (laughs) Um, So I think one of the biggest things is just, you know, it's, it's constantly trying to, 
have the athletes see, you know, where they are and, and what the, what the pathway is. Um, you know, my, uh, my style is, in terms of coaching is, is kind of that mix of, I actually think uh, one of the biggest influences on my coaching more than Mike has been Tim McLaren. Cause he was just such a good, uh, a, a good explainer of kind of the, the mechanics and the ins and outs. And then, you know, you look at Mike and what he did from a, from a crew formation side of things and take those lessons. Um, and then, and then there was like the lessons from, uh, Chris Korzenowski, right. Was one of the things I love about Chris Korzenowski is you can tell him what your favorite drill is. And he will tell you what, like the problems are going to be that are going to develop if you do it too much. Wow. Right. Like, you know, so it's, uh, and it's just kind of mixing all that, but then also recognizing that, uh, you know, one of the lessons that I had, I've had to learn coming out of COVID is that uh, basically like all of that institutional memory is gone, right? It was very stark for me. You know, I mentioned, you know, not having, only having had like one rower who was in an NCAA boat last spring. Um, but it's just, I'm constantly having to re be reminded about, I have to explain what I think should be intuitive, uh, right? Like, yeah. like just reminding myself, if I think it should be intuitive, I should probably take the time to explain it. Um, and, and that I think has been probably the biggest adjustment that I've had to make. Um, you know, I remember, and I did, I did actually between 08 and 09 before, like I took a little bit of time to, uh, to help coach the, the Princeton lightweights, uh, while I was kind of trying to figure out, like just taking a little bit of time to rest my body. Um, and that was a really special group as well. Uh, but, you know, I think, uh, I think just over time, I remember when I, f when I first got to Princeton, I hung up, hung up the, you know, the, the, oar. um, and Lori looked at me and she goes, you're going to coach the novices go <laughs> right. Not, not a lot of guidance. You know, there's probably, you know, if I had been more proactive and asking, I'm sure she would have volunteered, but she was just like, go, you know, we got the rest, bring me some novices. And I, you know, I started out and I had two eights. And then, you know, you get through the first couple of weeks and, you know, kind of the honeymoon's over and, and all the other clubs start, you know, kind of recruiting on campus and, and all the, like the life stuff. And then suddenly I had like three, three women left. Cause I wow. was just like, people were like, all right, I don't like this anymore. And, and I'm like, all right, see ya. And, and I didn't, I didn't work to like, try to get them over the hump really. Wow. Um, but the biggest thing I learned from that was, was that, you know, I had just spent my life trying to make the Olympics. Right. And, and I, I, it wasn't until I had lost all those walk-ons where I was like, Oh, like they don't have that love yet. So like you have to inject that into it you have to provide 
that enthusiasm, that energy until it's like lighting a fire, right? Like you have to provide that kindling until they can kind of take over and it's self-sustaining themselves. Um, and, and so it's like, like I said, it's, it's, if you think it's intuitive, you should probably explain it. I love that. That's great advice for any coach listening. Um, and it's good. It's a good reminder, right? Like novice coaches need to be uh, a cheerleader and yeah. need to explain it to them. And you're right. I I've, you're making me rethink a lot of the times that I've been in launches and I've been coaching crews and it's like, you have to explain to them what you've done muscle memory for 20 years yeah. or 30 years in some cases. And you're like, you're learning that. Are you, um, are you optimistic for this year? Are you optimistic for what's about to happen in these next couple of months with a young crew that you have? And, and you got the NCAAs, you got women's sprints, you got all this stuff happening in yeah. the next just couple of months. Yeah. Are you optimistic? I am. I am. You know, one of my biggest goals, you know, I mentioned that, you know, that lesson about the, the, you know, not putting on the hero cape, right? Yep. I think that to me is one of the biggest goals that I want to see out of my crew, uh, out of all my crews this spring is, is having them go down the course and, and not, you know, it's the simple way to say it is, I don't want them to go out and try to do something special, right? But the reality is, is what I want them to do is to do the same thing they've done every day in practice and say, okay, this is what we got. And if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to beat us. We're not going to like try to whip something special out and we're just going to go right. Like, and like when we were down in, down in Florida for winter training, uh, you know, one of my fondest memories so far this year, is I kind of had a mixed boats of like one V two V athletes. Um, and we were doing six minute pieces down there in Tampa and that main channel down there. Sure. And uh, for four and a half minutes, the boats were dead level. Ooh. And, and, but the proudest memory of that is that for four and a half minutes and really for the, the entirety of the piece, but, but for four and a half minutes, no one tried to win the piece. They just were like laser focused on like, okay, like do my job, just keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And, and no one tried to, like I said, put the hero cape on, right? Cause I, you know, going back to that, that, uh, you know, 520 lesson, right. Was, was if you try to make it go faster, if you try to hoss on it, it's going to go the other way. Right. So, you know, for me, you know, if, if that, if that can permeate and kind of take hold and catch fire in the team, like that's going to be a successful year. Every year I've been at Cornell, we've like the, the classes we've brought in have been stronger and faster than the ones before it. Yeah. So, so for me, um, you know, for me, if we can kind of get that to take root and then as we add, add some Watts, uh, you know, down the line, uh, you know, I think that's how you build, you know, we'll see, but I, I that's feel a killer culture, man. I, I, I've not actually, I love, I love talking to coaches, especially at the, you know, at least at the American level, the highest possible yeah. American level, right? It's, I've heard a million times about building culture. Your culture is we ain't wearing the hero cape. And that's yeah. the truth. And anyone listening can think back to a race that they had or a practice they had where they said, I'm going to try to win this. Yeah. And unless you're in a double, 
you ain't gonna it ain't gonna work right like it ain't gonna work you can win you can do that yeah. in a double you might be able to do that but you're 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 disrupting speed all right now look we've talked for over an hour and i do like to keep these things yep. to within an hour so i'm gonna go completely left field okay you're a big movie guy big movie quote i had asked steve gladstone what his favorite movies were right and like what he loved so give me some give me some fame like favorite steve coppola movies what do you love man yeah yeah so um so it's really like i can quote anything right like and i think it's situational but i sure. would say whenever there's like a new movie format i'm you know i'm old school i'm the hopeless romantic whenever there's like you know when hd dvd came out when blu-ray came out right whenever there's a new format i always have to go out and buy casablanca right um what? <laughs> yeah but aside from that that is the weirdest response. <laughs> okay, aside from Casablanca. Like, like, like I said, I'm a hopeless romantic and that's it. I just love it. Um, I bet you love Sleepless in, Sleepless in Seattle. That was fun. That it was, was a fun. good movie. It was a good movie. It was. It was. It wasn't Tom Hanks' best. I mean, you know. Um, you Got Mail <laughs> is probably my favorite Tom Hanks you know, like just, you know, romantic movie. Come on, yeah. tell me I'm wrong. It's brilliant. I don't know. I maybe go Joe versus volcano. Wow. Oh, you're, you're eighties. <laughs> you're, 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 you're early. Um, okay. But, but the reality is right. Like there's, there's all these little nuggets, right? Like uh, I, I always tell people my favorite race plan actually comes from the movie better off dead, you know, better off dead. I do. John Cusack, my yeah, favorite race plan is when he's getting ready to do a ski race and, and his buddy, um, I forget the guy's actual name, so I won't, um, and everyone knows him from Revenge of the Nerds, uh, but he, his buddy looks down the mountain and he goes, here's the plan. Go that way really fast. If something gets in your way, turn. It's a great line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the simplicity of it. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, exactly. that, that's easy, but you're a child, you and I are child's children of the early nineties. This, this, mm -hmm. the era of slapstick comedies really started to peak up. You got Adam Sandler's of the world finding their space, Chris Farley's. Um, I mean, you got, give me yeah. some favorite, give me some yeah. favorites from the nineties. Yeah. I mean, geez. I mean, Tommy boy, you bring up the Chris Farley stuff. I mean, Tommy boy, the thing is, is right. Like I have seen way too many movies right like sure you know way too many i told you you know before we started to record right like i i have an extensive collection of name tags and hairnets and and so i've seen like i got paid as a job when i was training to to make memorable sound clips of movies <laughs> to to put them like so i got paid to watch movies and to clip them, it, it clip those quotes into memorable like set audio clips. What? I don't even know if like the website still exists. What? So who paid you to do that? I just, uh, you know, one of the guys I was training with was working for a venture firm and they were trying to seed this company. And I, it, I don't even know if it still exists. Initially it was called hark.com. They oh were trying God. to like, they were trying to like, basically that, that the memorable quotes page on IMDB, they were trying to like make audio clips of like everything. Whoa. So, uh, and they wanted to do for sound clips, what like gifts had become, right? Like, Oh my God. Effectively. 
so, I mean, we, we would go when we were training like that 08 group, you know, one of the things that were so fun, we would, we would go entire practices where we only spoke in movie quotes. And I love that. <laughs> so, me? so I still do a little bit and actually like some of my rowers will like, like keep journals and they'll like write down like when someone, you know, gets a quote. Um, and some of them are bashful when they actually get it there, but now it's like, oh, my dad maybe watched that movie and now I feel old. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, yeah. But I'm, yeah, like, I'm good on, good on your dad. Good on your dad. That's you know? that's I love that. Dude, Steve, I had a great time talking, man. <laughs> I uh I you know it's funny, we didn't actually talk about the thing I thought we were gonna talk about, but just, just no. because we're driving, dude. We're just yeah, we're we having a good time. There. We didn't get it, there. It doesn't. Well, look, I'm going to, what I'm going to be doing this year is I'm going to be attending a lot more college races. So I've spent most of my career in this sport at the junior level. I'm going to come and see a lot of these races. So I'm really looking forward to seeing the big red and also cheering on your other squad. I mean, the men's team, you guys got a really cool environment yeah. up in upstate New York. Like it really is cool. I'm excited to see you guys race. Uh, this was episode 13, season four, Steve, man, I had a blast we'll see. For doing this. We'll, if if it gets good ratings, call me back and we'll 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 get to the other topics. We'll do we'll do episode two. <laughs> well, there you have everybody. Tune in uh, next week for more discussions with NCAA and IRA coaches. Uh, see you guys next week.